Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. So we continue this week um, in our series on taking your seat at the table, church community. Um, And actually, the original text was going to be all about like church life balance. But um, (laughs) well, y'all, it seems like myself and most people I'm talking to that right now might not be something that feels even possible. So we've pivoted a bit and we're now going to be looking at a different passage Um, this week in Romans chapter seven. And if I know anything, like anything from my years of being alive, it's that being human is hard. And I know I say that a lot, but in support of this sentiment, as Anne Lamott says, fair is for pony rides. And I will reference her a lot in this sermon. So here's just the shout out to that amazing woman and writer. But I mean, being fair that's for pony rides. And it turns out that life ends up being much more complicated than pony rides. It ends up being things like ugh, unmet emotional needs or a diagnosis or embarrassing yourself in public, forgetting something important, having an arthritis flare up right before you leave on sabbatical. <laughs> Fair is just for pony rides. It's, it's not for real life. And since we don't have a lot of options and whether we're human or not, we do have to find ways to navigate that difficulty. Because as hard as it is, it's also an adventure, right? Life includes love and joy and Nutella. And as you all know, I am a staunch believer in gratitude lists so that those difficulties of being human don't overshadow the miracles of like trees and laughter or the fact that we wake up in the morning and are offered another day to love and be loved. And yet, and yet, here we are probably feeling, maybe if it's in the morning, a bit disheveled. Perhaps we've already said something snippy to someone we love um, this morning. Perhaps our bank account is dangerously close to zero, or our parent is in hospice, or maybe you're already getting some anxiety about being at work and you're not at work, or you're at work and it's it's loaded. <laughs> But I switched this week's scripture on Friday morning, and I I totally pivoted tracks for the sermon because that original text was about church life balance, and I really don't think most of us, after the last two and a half years, are finding much success in this, right? Like, balance in general, we're still trying to figure it out. And in fact, I think many of us are just having a hard time once again being human. And when we find ourselves in that space, what we really need is is actually just a big old dose of mercy. Mercy. And so today I opted to pivot and find a friend in solidarity in the scriptures for us. And I found Paul. Paul the earnest. Paul the judgmental, I know. Paul the community builder. Paul just the straight up human. And our scripture for today is in the heart of his longest letter. It's a letter to the Christians in Rome, and it's a dense theological letter that is working towards kind of one part Christian theology and two parts Christian community. But in the middle of the letter, Paul is just overwhelmed. And I think he's probably a bit lost in his own argument. I'm not going to lie. 
and also perhaps caught up in how overwhelming trying to make sense of life actually is. It's an overwhelm that is a bit of a tongue-tied mess by the time we get to chapter 7, but it is oh so relatable. He has backed himself into a corner. So listen now for a word from God in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, uh, but I do do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that the good that does not dwell within me, that is in my flesh, Oh, for the desire to do the good lies close at hand, but not the ability. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, is it no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in in me? And at this point on Sunday when I read this, my daughter and her friend looked up at me like they were absolutely confused. And so I acknowledged that. But I kept going because Paul keeps going. So I find it to be the law that when I want to do what's good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Oh, wretched person that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Huh. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, (laughs) you could go back through and map out Paul's argument here if you'd like. I don't necessarily recommend that since Paul's arguments are actually a bit circular, so it's almost nicer to back up and see his main point instead of the actual moves, kind of like seeing the shape instead of seeing the dot to dot. But the shape of this passage is, I predict, how some of you all are feeling after two and a half years of living in a very different world than we had planned. Remember, again, fair is for pony rides. But what I love about Paul's message in chapter 7 is that you see his breakdown. You see his breakdown. It is being live-tweeted, right? (laughs) He is up close and personal and his, its failure is trying to have all these answers, right? Trying to make sense of himself, his circumstances, his new fledgling movement that is reimagining the love of God. And as he crests in the center of the letter where we are, I imagine him kind of just laying down a heap, getting a bit confused in his own words and saying, this is so hard. This whole doing what I think I should do, this whole trying to succeed at being a good human, this whole writing it down in a linear fashion so people 2,000 years later can make sense of it, the whole package starts to somewhat implode. Breakdowns usually come when we're at the pinnacle of trying to make sense of something senseless. They come when we're trying to be perfect, doing something hard or perhaps impossible. For Paul, it comes when he finds himself in this letter to the Romans explaining a system of religion that depends on a world where being human is easy and something that we can perfect. And so his explanation of this system of religion starts to fall apart. He starts to fall apart when he realizes following all the rules is an entirely hopeless endeavor. Yes, and... Because we are all, as Anne Lamott reminds us, 
gigantically flawed, such screw-ups, everyone is broken, clingy, and scared, even the people who seem to have it most together. One of my favorite lines of hers. But also, we get like this right alongside Paul, because being human is just hard. It bursts out of any set of rules or confinements or religious sentiments or arguments that we try to package it in. Paul gets this. Well, he spirals into it, right? <laughs> and at the end of this line of reasoning, reasoning that he has, he's, he's kind of left with nothing. And in realizing he's got nothing left, he's kind of confused himself. He, he makes the most staggering declaration. It's a total pivot right here. And I imagine him taking a deep breath, throwing his hands in the air, and he resigns, ending this whole thing with, well, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I think he ends this for a very particular reason, right? Because in the end, my friends, often God doesn't give us answers. God gives us mercy instead. God doesn't participate in that spiral that Paul is going through. God instead grants us a handhold out of it. When she experienced mercy after a hard family event, Anne Lamott described it like this. It taught me that mercy is a cloak that will wrap around you and protect you. It can block the terror, the dark, the most terrifying aspects of your own true self. It is soft has lots of folds and unfolds you. It can help you rest and breathe again for the time being, which is all we ever have. This is mercy. This is where Paul ends up at the end of that passage. And then a little further on in the letter, Paul kind of revisits this and describes it like this. You are in the spirit since the Spirit of God dwells in you. That is the important part. Being in the presence of God, the presence of mercy, the non-judgmental, restful, transformative grace of a God who knows that being human is hard and lets you lay down your armor, or for Paul, his argument. Now, it makes sense that Paul would end his exhausting spiral with thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, who requires simply this, right? Mercy. And since this whole fall, we're explaining why we come to church. I'm here to tell you that this, my friends, is why I come to church. This is why I take a seat at this table among you. Because I need mercy. I need a soft place to land when all my attempts to make sense or make perfect or make fair leave me exhausted or resentful or confused. When I'm like Paul and running in circles, I need a place to go, a God to rest in weekly on Sundays, but also daily wherever I am, because I do find myself like Paul arguing my way into this tight ball of anxiety or fear, usually in the shower, and someone needs to loosen my grip. I need mercy. I find that mercy of God in the music at church, in the words you all speak from the pulpit, or sometimes like this sermon, I find it in my own words because not all sermons feel personal, but this one kind of does. I find mercy in the act of sitting still for this long with all of you, of being in silence with you, of seeing objects of mercy around the sanctuary like plants 
and the saints and crosses. I took a vow when I became a pastor that I would come here on Sundays expecting to encounter the resurrected Christ, and I remind myself often of that mercy. But I also find mercy at church because church is made up of people. And guess what? All it takes sometimes is for one gentle person to listen, to witness, and to hug you, to give you the courage to get up and keep moving. That's it. Thanks be to God, right? I loved um, one thing that Nia Baker shared this week on her Instagram account, and Nia is actually preaching next week. She's a therapist, has lots of great wisdom. But this post happened to be from KJ Ramsey, who is someone Nia follows because she's a trauma-informed therapist. And she says this, the most regulating thing for our nervous systems at any point of any day is co-regulation. And she kind of gives another explanation for those who don't know what that is. Experiencing the presence of someone else with us who is kind, emboldens us to face our fears with trust. So then I'm going to say it one more time with a little church language in there. The most merciful thing for us is experiencing the loving presence of someone else. This, friends, is church. This is why we come. We come to drink from the fountain of mercy that God has built into community. And I know that as we emerge from this pandemic, that we are rebuilding our lives to some extent. We are tweaking expectations, rearranging commitments, working with a nervous system that is a bit strained, if not at its threshold. So please remember that sitting at this table is a way to navigate all of that, right? Sitting at this table among these people is a big dose of mercy in a world still participating in Paul's spiral. Being the church, coming to church, participating in church, whichever way you want to arrange those verbs and nouns, is one of the many ways that God says, fair is for pony rides, but mercy, that is for real life. So friends, welcome to that generous table here at Ormwood Church. Amen. Amen.